are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 106.7 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7400. 502. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Had to remember what day it was. I know you said it feels like Friday, and with a basketball game on right now, it does kind of feel like it's the weekend. Yeah, it feels like after this game ends, after this show ends, I should be able to go home and just kind of chill for the rest of the week. And we will essentially get to do that with Thanksgiving coming up tomorrow. But yeah, to me, for some reason, oddly enough today, it just feels like Friday. Just a reminder to everyone out there, we will not have a show tomorrow, but we will have a show on Friday, same time as always, 2 to 4 p.m., And you can always find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Auburn and Connecticut currently playing in the Bad Boy Mowers Battle for Atlantis, the first round. We will try and keep you updated on the whereabouts and what's going on as we've got the TV on in the studio, keeping up with it ourselves. Currently at the eight-minute media timeout, Auburn leading UConn 24-23. Lance, thoughts on what we've seen through the first 12 minutes of the ballgame? Well, Wendell Green Jr. is trying to fight for uh, his starting spot as Katie Johnson and Zepp Jasper were the uh, players to start at the one and the two today for uh, Auburn. I believe Wendell has already made three three three-pointers. Auburn started off the game relatively hot. They were up at one point, I believe, uh, 21-10. And uh, UConn has since come roaring back, and they're uh, they're in a little bit of a battle right now. So Wendell Green Jr. in his hot shooting. And then Auburn on the other end, just allowing UConn to essentially make whatever they put up from beyond the arc. Not from a poor defensive perspective, though. They were contesting those shots. UConn's just knocking them down. Yeah, it was really aggressive at the beginning of the game. I was really liking what I was seeing defensively. It's just UConn's been able to make... Uh, just whatever they've put up uh, after Auburn got their big lead and UConn just took it right back. Auburn's playing really good defense right now. They haven't given up hardly any open shots. UConn's just knocking them down. I have no issues with the way Auburn's playing defense right now. This game that we are watching, this game is a future NCAA tournament matchup. This has a round of 32 Sweet 16 feel to it. You've got two top 25 teams. You've got two top 22 teams because UConn's ranked 22. Auburn's ranked 19. The vibe that I get, Auburn comes out strong, gets up 21 to 10. UConn's response, which is a big run of itself. Auburn's got another run in it. This is going to be a game of runs, two teams going back and forth, two aggressive teams, two talented teams that are going to give each other their best shot. Each team, their opponent in this game, UConn is Auburn's best opponent they've played yet. And Auburn is UConn's best opponent they've played yet. So you got to imagine you're going to get these guys' best game, and that's what you've got right now. I'm impressed with what I'm seeing from both teams. Yeah, absolutely. For the first few minutes of the game, it really did seem like it was a it was a shock moment for UConn. They were trying to, to throw some lazy passes, and it was like, okay, UConn, you're not playing Coppin State anymore. You're playing Auburn, and since then they have adjusted really well. 
I just hope that Auburn's able to uh, to hold off the shooting flurry that UConn has had here over the past few minutes, and they're able to take some momentum into the half because if they can't guard the three point shot, we saw early Sonogo, I believe is is his name, uh, the uh, the center for UConn had their first ten points, incredibly dominant, was working really well on Kessler. If Auburn can't guard the three point line, I'm afraid of what the Huskies, Huskies could do inside because they have some talented front court players. We'll keep you updated on what's going on in this game between UConn and Auburn throughout the show, but now we're going to switch the conversation to the Iron Bowl. Alabama Crimson Tide, Auburn Tigers, this Saturday at Jordan-Hare Stadium, 2.30 on CBS. It's a report Wednesday, scouting the Alabama Crimson Tide. Lance, what do we expect to see from Alabama schematically as we dig into the analytics and the inside numbers on what Alabama likes to do and what they do well. Well, like most teams, their yearly play share and yearly yard share, according to SEC StatCat, does come from some form of zone read. Inside zone read is typically what Alabama is going to run. In terms of uh, in terms of passing yards, though, you're going to see Alabama run a lot of different flood variations, specifically cross and uh, play action boot are the two things that they like to run. They also do like to take some shots downfield. Slant variations is something that they run, I think, a little bit more than some some other teams, some other offensive uh, schemes in the SEC. You're just going to see a lot of different aggressive passing uh, passing schemes from Alabama, and they can really do whatever they want, essentially, with the passing game because they have so many different talented receivers. Jamison Williams is most likely going to be on the receiving end of a lot of different things that Alabama likes to, to, uh, to run. As far as play breakdowns are concerned, Alabama, one of the most up-tempo, believe it or not, Alabama is one of the most up-tempo teams that Auburn has played this year from a total plays per game standpoint, averaging 72.7 plays per game. That's just about four plays less than Mississippi State per game, which is the most up-tempo team that Auburn has played this year. Alabama may be second on this season in terms of plays ran per game as far as Auburn's opponents are concerned. As far as the pass-run split is concerned, 52% of the time it is a run, 48% of the time it is a pass. This is a balanced offense that truly, you look at it from a yards perspective, definitely skews more towards passing yardage but in terms of a play call perspective it's split 50 50 yeah absolutely and that's what I was saying earlier is Jamison Williams has been so explosive for the Crimson Tide so far this season wide receiver Blitnikoff award finalist he's been on the receiving end of a lot of different explosive plays and you just said it Alabama does try and run the ball a little bit with Brian Robinson Jr. specifically he's going to be their main back and like I mentioned earlier inside outside zone those are the type of things that Alabama is going to run. They also do run a little bit of power. They run a little bit of everything in the running game, scheme schematics-wise. But passing the football, uh, they have been way more explosive, like you just stated, and that's something that concerns me in this game. We'll obviously get to match, matchups and breakdowns later, but Alabama, like I, like I mentioned earlier, incredibly aggressive in the passing game. They like to take shots, and most of the time that they, they, uh, they uh, get them. From a passing depth perspective it's pretty balanced there as well 12.4 percent of the time it's 20 yards down the field or more 23.8 percent of the time it's in the intermediate bracket which is between 10 and 20 yards down the field 35.9 percent of the time it is short within one to 10 yards of the line of scrimmage and then 21.4 percent of the time it is behind the line of scrimmage that is one of the most balanced passing depth charts 
that I think we've seen this year as well. Despite poor offensive line play, Bryce Young has been absolutely phenomenal. There's no secrets about that. He is a Heisman contender, maybe not the front runner right now with C.J. Stroud, lurching in front in that race in terms of betting odds but Bryce Young's right there with him probably second in the Heisman race this is the best Alabama quarterback Auburn has faced in the last decade maybe ever from a passing standpoint I think it's more impressive what Bryce Young is doing right now from a passing perspective than what Tua was doing when he was healthy of course Auburn didn't get two iron balls against Tua they just got one healthy Tua in an iron bowl and that Tua was very good but I think what Bryce Young is doing right now from a passing perspective is extremely impressive and maybe the most impressive passing quarterback that we've seen in Alabama Jersey let's head to the phone lines now 334-321-1390 Travis joining us on the line Travis how's it going my man (laughs) for the second week been better boys that's right (laughs) yeah well third week I would imagine because it's a three-game losing streak I didn't get the call after the uh, uh, after one of the game. I can't remember even which one it was. But uh, <clears throat> I got got a question. Is, is there anybody that hates Auburn more than Mike Bobo? <laughs> I mean, this guy, he beats Auburn when he's offensive coordinator of South Carolina and then turns around and swaps sidelines and then loses to South Carolina in the same, in the same building the very next year. Uh, you know, I mean, when was the last time this guy had success calling an offense? And, and what was the reason for hiring this guy? That's one of my questions to y'all today. Well, the last time that he had true success may have been early on when he was head coach at Colorado State, but if you're talking about in terms of play calling at a legitimate level of college football, it was all the way back in the early 2010s when he was at Georgia. So I understand there's a lot to complain about with Bobo over the last three weeks. Auburn's just scored nine points in the second half over the last four weeks. Nine points in the second half over the last four weeks. There's a lot to be upset about there on the offensive side of the football. I wouldn't say that he hates Auburn. I think I've read or heard somewhere that maybe he grew up an Auburn fan, so I don't think that he hates Auburn, but he's definitely not performing right now. And uh, I, I got a question for the, a question of the day for you guys. Um, to me, every, every head coach, every successful head coach, ha- has something that makes them that way, makes them successful. You know, uh, some examples are like Nick Saban's a great recruiter, Josh Heifel at Tennessee – has an exciting, fast-paced offensive scheme. You know, Shane Beamer can do more with less because he can get his guys to play with motivation for, for 60 minutes in the game. You know, these are just three different examples from three totally different head coaches. Now, my question to y'all is, what does Brian Harson bring to the table in that regard? He, he's, he's, he hadn't shown that he's a great recruiter. Now, he might end up being, I know it's his first, his first time recruiting as a head coach of a, of a big-time football program, but – he hasn't been a good recruiter so far. He doesn't have an exciting offense. And, and, you know, obviously he can't get his players to play hard for 60 minutes in the game. He can, he can do it for 30, but he hasn't shown that he can get his guys motivated at halftime to go out there and make that final push and finish people off. Uh, he can't get his players to play the way he talks in his press conference. I mean, if this guy's success was, was based on the way he talks, I mean, he sounds great, but he doesn't really practice what, what he preaches, you know, so to speak. So, now, my question to you guys is, what does he bring to the table that's going to make him a successful coach like others have, you know, all around college football, whether it's first year or, you know, coaches that have been there for 10-plus years? If every, every, every coach has something that makes them successful, what is Brian Harson? Before I answer that, I want to turn a question back to you, Travis. And before I ask it, I'll say this. Brian, Hurst, Brian Harson deserves a lot of criticism right now, 100%. The last three weeks, this entire coaching staff – 
deserves a lot of criticism because it's been a colossal failure on their part, without a doubt. I wouldn't put it on the players, I'd put it on the coaches. But what did you think of him after he was 6-2 and two and just beat Ole Miss and things were looking really, really rosy for Auburn moving forward? Oh, man. And, and that's you know, and that's why I go back to not practicing what you preach because all he talks about is consistency, you know, focusing on the next game. And, and, and you're, you're right, 100%. After that, I mean, that's when we were talking about, you know, the nine-win team in the Iron Bowl. The next day was never beat over there in Jordan-Hare. And, and it's, it's, it's really just the consistency is lacking. And that's why I was t- – because I listened to his press conferences and he, he just – he sounds so good whenever he's talking, whenever he's behind the mic. And he's talking about consistency and, you know, we got to get better at this, we got to fix this. And it's just – I don't see it translating to the team is what I'm trying to say. I get it. The whole – we're going to be disciplined, hard-nosed stuff, all that militant-like attitude. It sounded really good, and now it's fallen flat. It's fallen on deaf ears with Auburn fans because of the results. I get that 100%. I'll say this. I think he's been dealt a really difficult hand, and by the time that we've gotten to the end of the season, we have realized that Auburn has no depth due to the previous coaching staff's recruiting. If Bo doesn't get hurt, Auburn beats – Auburn would beat – South Carolina this past Saturday and I think you could also make the argument that if Bo didn't get hurt in the Mississippi State game Auburn could have still pulled that one out because it was just a one possession game at the time that he got hurt so I think Bo's injury has hurt this team out a lot and I also think this coaching staff and this season has been affected a lot I don't want to blame it on officials but Auburn has not caught many breaks this year in a lot of their games it's a conglomerate of issues for this program and this coaching staff deserves to receive criticism but I also think that folks should pump the brakes a little bit be a little bit more patient with him it's year one and not everything has gone his way in terms of elements outside of his control yeah you know Owen getting hurt you know contributes to that as well and I understand what you're saying but you know at the same time you got an offensive line that's gotten a lot of reps over the last couple of years and uh you know Talking about te- or having Bo, you win in the South Carolina game. Well, if you give it to number four, the best running back in the country, you also win the game. So, I mean, it's just some questionable stuff all the way around. But speaking of Bo and the refs, you know, I agree that the refs, tend, they love to cheat Auburn. I mean, I, I've I've been, you know, I, I've said that for, for a long time, and I think it's pretty obvious. But, I mean, you just you can't do nothing for anybody, guys. I mean, I called up last week. I, I, I praised Bo, you know, telling that we miss him, talk about, uh, he's a true Auburn man, and I want him leading this program. Then he goes and pops off on that radio show about Alabama. Guys, look, Alabama absolutely destroys people when they get bulletin board material, and he just gave him a boatload of it. That ain't what we need this week. I don't disagree with you. I'm never a fan of folks, aside from coaches, when they really have been hard done. Like if something happened in a game, and I'm not saying to eviscerate the refs in a press conference, but I'm okay with coaches showing a little bit more of their raw emotional side when something doesn't go their way because they're speaking up for their team and I don't think that officials are held accountable as well as they should be for when they have terrible calls and whatnot but I'm with you you shouldn't give Alabama bulletin board material because they did it last year yeah yeah and I you know regarding the game on Saturday boys I mean you know I I think Alabama's got to stop tanking me they're gonna make TJ beat him with his arm and, I mean, they can't cover anybody in a phone booth. I mean, their DBs are pretty bad. And I think if, if we just throw the ball downfield and, and, you know, hopefully the rest won't won't screw us like they have in the past over there, but 
know, Alabama loves to commit pass interference, and they will not turn to look for the ball. That's one thing I've noticed just watching a couple of highlights when I see them on ESPN at night. But I think if we can push the ball downfield, and we might not win the game, but I think we'll definitely cover the spread. That's all I got, guys. You know, Iron Bowl week, you know, it's been a long season. But if we can just come out, I mean, we really got to treat this like the national championship, if you think about it. I mean, mm-hmm. you're not going to a high bowl game. Um, so really, if you just think you got to prepare like this, then you're, this is your national championship. You're a six and five football team. You're playing against the top three team in the country. This is your natty. So uh, I hope they prepare that way. I hope they get out and get it done. Appreciate y'all guys. War Eagle. Appreciate it, Travis. Have a happy Thanksgiving. That was Travis on the line with us. And if you want to call in, if you got thoughts on the game coming up this Saturday, thoughts on everything going in inside the Auburn football program, thoughts going on with Auburn basketball, anything on your mind in the sports world, we'll talk to you about it. 334-321-1390. Lance about to blow his top off in the studio. He's having a – I'm sorry, man, I'm going to have to say it. It's a hissy fit right now behind yeah. the board. You are angry with the way Auburn yeah, basketball is playing. In what world do you let a team shoot 8 of 12 from 3 in the first half? In what world with your length and your defensive intensity that you had for the first two and a half minutes of this game? They're down 43-31 to 31 now after being up by 11. How do you let that happen? How do you let that happen? You're one of the tallest teams in the nation. You don't let teams shoot well from three on you. Now, according to Ken Palm, you let teams take threes on you, but you haven't let pe- uh, teams knock them down. This team is known for their front court. They are, again, they are 8 of 12 from three right now in this first half. There's 27 seconds left to go. It is now 43 to 34. I just don't understand how you let that happen defensively. It's just I'm bewildered right now at how Auburn has fallen apart. I think part of it, too, is that UConn's gotten really hot here. I don't think Auburn's playing bad. No. I think they're getting a little lazy on the offensive end over the last five minutes of this half, trying to respond to UConn. But UConn is scorching hot right now, and sometimes that's just out of your control. Halftime could do this team well. I think Auburn's playing well. I think they've been hitting the mouth just like Bruce Pearl wanted. Bruce Pearl was talking about that with – with Dykes, the color commentator, in one of their pregame hits that they had. And he was saying that I want my team to get punched in the mouth here in Battle for Atlantis. And first half, that's happened. So let's take a quick break here. When we come back, we'll continue with Report Wednesday here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line, breaking down the Alabama Crimson Tide on inside the numbers and analytics of their scheme. Wednesday edition of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7. UConn-Auburn at halftime of Battle for Atlantis. We'll keep you updated throughout the game today. It is 45-34 in favor of UConn, but I don't think Auburn's playing bad. I think what we just saw was the best 11 minutes of basketball that UConn could put on the floor maybe the entire season. Now, they will continue to play well throughout this year. They are a really talented team. They were playing near flawless over those last 11 minutes where they put on a 32-13 to run against Auburn. I think Auburn's playing just fine right now. I thought they got a little lazy at the end of the half from a offensive perspective in the half court because they were trying to answer what UConn was doing because UConn was making everything that they shot. Yep. But I do think that Auburn has played well for – that might have been one of Auburn's best halves of, of this season. Oh, for sure. I, there were definitely some bright spots early on, but and like you just said, I'm still I still don't think that it's right to let a team score that many on answer on you and end the last 11 minutes on a 32 to 13 run. 
Um, but there were some moments in the first half where Auburn looked good. Like we were just talking about during the break, there were 12 points, four threes off of bad closeouts and bad defensive rotation, just not being aggressive like Auburn was at the beginning of the game. And then, like you said, late on, late in the first half on the offensive end, they were being sloppy and they were making bad decisions. And so I think the guys just need to wake up at half and they need to understand, look, no team is going to shoot 8 of 12 from 3 on us forever. They are not going to finish the game over 50% from 3. Not going to let that happen. Our talent is way too good to let that happen. Let's get some stops. Let's get back into this game. If UConn can recover an 11-point deficit, Auburn can recover an 11-point deficit. We've seen teams, we've seen Auburn teams do it in the past, and we saw them do it actually uh, last Friday against South Florida. So all it takes is a little bit of uh, energy, a little bit of defensive intensity, and UConn not throwing up every prayer and knocking it down. So (laughs) we'll just have to see what happens in the second half. Number to call, 334-321-1390. If you want to call into the show today, we're talking Auburn, Alabama on the show today with Report Wednesday, breaking down what Alabama likes to do schematically with some inside numbers and some analytics from Pro Football Focus, SEC StatCat as well. Diving back into that passing game that we were discussing before, a great phone call from Travis. We were happy to have you on the line. And Travis, once again, I hope you have a happy Thanksgiving this week and a happy Iron Bowl on Saturday. But let's continue to break down this offense Bryce Young's been absolutely phenomenal that was one of the last thoughts that I said this may be the best passing Alabama quarterback that Auburn has faced ever at least in the last decade I think he's doing better with a poor offensive line Mm -hmm. and a worse receiving core I think he's doing better with less than what Tua was when even he was healthy of course the Iron Bowl that Auburn played a healthy Tua was in Tuscaloosa Still breaking down what these guys do from a scheme. 66% of the time, it is a normal pass. 34% of the time, it is play action. That is a little bit heavier of a play action split than we've seen this season versus other teams. Alabama still is playing the style of football that likes to bring players inside the box with a short to intermediate passing game as well as running the football, and then they'll take their shots. You have to respect what Brian Robinson's been doing out of the backfield. You have to respect everything that Alabama's doing. So fakes sell better with this team than they do with other teams because you have to respect everything. 15% of their passes are screens. That's on the higher end of the spectrum. They go to John Mechie a lot on the outside with some of those screen passes. Well, we've seen Alabama offenses work like this in the past regardless of the coordinator, right? They'll get that little flare out to a receiver. They'll get their big guy blocking out on the outside, and it'll you'll see a receiver often in this offense just tightrope for seven or eight yards, and then they'll go back to running the ball. And whenever they want to hit you over the top, they can elect to do so. This is an offense that very much so has the ability – to do a lot of different things, even though they might be off in, in the trenches specifically, they might not be as good as they have been in years past. Uh, this is still a team that whenever they want to elect to throw a 40-yard pass downfield, whenever they want to try and establish the run game, they can still get it going. They can do a lot of different things, but again, like you just mentioned, throwing those screens, those little flare-outs in the flat to try and get somebody going uh, closer to the sideline, those those uh, plays work really, really well for the Crimson Tide because they have the athletes that can get out in space and make somebody miss. And this is what I was talking about, about how well Bryce Young has been playing with worse players around him. I'm not saying that yeah. Alabama has bad players. They have great players, and I'll talk about that talent in a few minutes. But this is one of the more poor-performing offensive lines. The receiving core is still great, but not as good as it was when they had four first-rounders on the roster, not as good as what they had last year with a Heisman winner at mm-hmm. wide receiver, and then another guy who went higher in the draft than he did, and Jalen Waddell. These are some numbers that are quite astonishing. 
Due to the shaky offensive line, opposing teams have chosen the poison that occurs when they blitz. So they're going to give up more big plays downfield when Alabama connects because they're blitzing more. Teams have opted to blitz Bryce Young 40% of the time. Unfortunately for them, he has handled it really well, completing 60% of his passes with 19 touchdowns and just two interceptions. When he's kept clean in the the pocket, this is why teams have opted for the 66% completion percentage. When he has kept clean in the pocket, these numbers are outrageous. 78% of his passes he is completing for 22 touchdowns. He's got two interceptions and a clean pocket. Those numbers from Pro Football Focus. He's only kept clean about 65% of the time. It's not great. So pretty much when teams are blitzing, they're getting to him. They're getting some pressure there. Mm-hmm. But once again, he's still handling it well. He's completing 4% more of his passes than Bo Nix is when he's under duress than when Bo Nix is kept clean. Like his total completion percentage. I mean, it, it, it's it's outrageous how well Bryce Young is playing right now against the Blitz. But then on top of that, if you don't Blitz them, he will dice you. He will make a meal out of you. Yep. And so the poison that people have chosen is to blitz, but this is where it absolutely kills you is because that sets up man-to-man on the outside or a lot bigger of gaps in zone coverage when you're blitzing more players, and Alabama's wide receivers are still faster than everybody they play. They still have better hands than everybody they play. They still have better route running than everybody they play. So they win those man-to-man encounters. Here's how it goes. Auburn blitzes. Bryce Young steps up into the pocket, chunks it downfield, and Jamison Williams strolls in for a 70-yard touchdown reception. And the amount of time it just took me to type this sentence. Exactly. I was just about, I was about to say you, you will find yourself in a lot of situations if you elect to blitz. Uh, like you, you will find yourself in situations like Tennessee did where all of a sudden, oh, we've got a linebacker on Jamison Williams, and there he goes. All right, touchdown, cool. Or here's the other side of it. You may find yourself in a situation like Arkansas where it was third down, it was a one-score game, and you needed to get a stop to get back into it. You rush three, Bryce Young's at the 50-yard line, and oh, look, there's Jamison Williams in the back of the end zone, touchdown. They still have, while it may not be as talented of a roster as Alabama has had in the past, they still have the guys that can go out and get stuff like that done. And something that you were mentioning about the pressure, in conference play, Alabama is pressured the second most out of any team in the SEC. The only team that's pressured more is South Carolina. You look at negative play percentage, they are fifth worst in the SEC. The four teams that have more negative plays, South Carolina, Arkansas, Missouri, and Ole Miss. Whenever you elect to rush this Alabama offense, they can be susceptible to giving up some negative plays and some pressure, but they still make good decisions under duress. A lot of pressure is going to be put on this Auburn defensive backfield, and we'll talk about that when we come back. Continuing on with Report Wednesday as Auburn prepares for the Iron Bowl against the Alabama Crimson Tide. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Thirty minutes through the Wednesday edition of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on the show. Auburn UConn at halftime, UConn forty-five, Auburn thirty-four. We'll continue to keep you updated on that throughout the show today. Want to take a second to look at our upcoming college football on ESPN Radio schedule here on ESPN one hundred six seven. Virginia Tech at Virginia this Saturday at two p.m. Central. 
And then also this Saturday, Texas A&M at LSU at 5.30 p.m. And then coming up in a couple of weeks, we will have the championship games on as well. The Pac-12 championship game on Friday, December 3rd at 6 p.m. And then on Saturday, December 4th, we'll have the Dr. Pepper Big 12 championship game and the ACC championship game on that Saturday. Live game broadcast on ESPN 106.7 are presented by the Orthopedic Clinic, Kia Auburn, University Ace Hardware, and Franklin Tire and Auto. That is our live upcoming 2021 College Football on ESPN radio schedule coming up over the next two weeks. Stuff that you can be looking forward to here on ESPN 106.7. Still breaking down the Alabama Crimson Tide and our report Wednesday scouting report on the Crimson Tide. We've been talking about what we expect to see from Alabama schematically and we were just breaking down how much pressure this Auburn defensive backfield is going to encounter from John Metchie III and Jamison Williams those are their two most targeted wide receivers it's not even close and they have the ability to blow the top off of a defense absolutely uh in terms of yards per pass in conference play alabama is second in the sec uh they average about 8.5 yards per pass attempt believe it or not georgia actually is first in the sec in yards per pass attempt 8.63 in conference play but Alabama knows how to take the uh, the top off of a defense. Mechie has not been as good as some people might have thought he would have been uh, this season. He still has been very good. He's still been a very talented receiver for Alabama. But Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports has come on to this show a few times and talked about how just Mechie is not he is not developed into the player that most people thought he would. Instead, it's been the Jamison Williams show. And having those two guys alone, uh, even though I honestly don't know if Alabama really has a guy outside of him that is truly capable of taking the top off like those two are but just having those two alone I mean there's a lot of ability for for explosive plays uh in in, at any given moment for this uh for this team I said it like this just a second ago the play will look like this Auburn blitzes Bryce Young steps up into the pocket, chucks it downfield, and Jamison Williams strolls in for a 70-yard touchdown reception in the amount of time it took me to type that sentence it really will play out like that, and we saw that several times in the Arkansas game. I'm not saying that Auburn isn't going to attempt to contain Alabama, but on Saturday against Arkansas, and I talked about this on Monday, and this is the talent winning out for Alabama, even when the opposing defense, I think, called the right play and honestly did everything right from a defensive perspective. Arkansas had three high safety help. Jamison Williams was running a go route down the field. The three safeties were back in coverage. The ball was thrown to the literal one spot on planet Earth that Jamison Williams could run, not break stride, catch the football, and continue to keep running all the way for a touchdown. Mm -hmm. And Arkansas did not have bad coverage. It was just talent beating talent. It was a great throw that beat the coverage, and it was a fast receiver that was able to outrun the safeties. I'm terrified for this Saturday of things like that happening even if Auburn attempts to contain Alabama trying to break down what Auburn is going to do from a defensive perspective against Alabama I don't know how they're going to approach this Auburn this year consistently has gotten back into zone coverage has opted to clog passing lanes not blitz not put pressure on Bryce Young but we've watched this season on countless occasions Alabama's offensive line has the propensity to break down if you put pressure on it and a lot of teams have blitzed Alabama this year I'm curious to see how Auburn's going to approach it because if you let Bryce Young sit back in the pocket 
I broke down the numbers for you earlier from Pro Football from Pro Football Focus when he is allowed to settle in and he's kept clean he completes 78 percent of his passes he's got 22 touchdowns that way I mean it's a pick your poison approach and I think Auburn may have no choice but to bring pressure you know Derek Mason's not going to bring pressure in this game Noah you know what's going to happen. You then know, he's going to be allowed to sit back and carve him up for 50 points. You know how much fans are going to just absolutely love Derek Mason after this game this Saturday. Everybody's going to be in love with that defense. You know what? Who needs to stop anybody when you could just give up a 15-yard pass or a 20-yard pass or a 30-yard pass? And then after that, if you do try and want to bring some pressure or you do try and want to line up against Jamison Williams and some of these other players, oh, look, there goes Brian Robinson. Derek Mason may not have a lot of choices in this game, but let me tell you one he's probably not going to make. He's probably not going to bring pressure because he has proven time and time and time and time again so far this season he's not going to do it. He doesn't care. He's just going to play whatever he wants to. And if Auburn gives up 50 in this game, then so be it. But darn it, I'm rushing three, baby. It is not going to be a game where Auburn is going to bring pressure until maybe the fourth quarter after after they're down by 70 points. So I hope, I hope that he does bring pressure. It looks on paper like Auburn should try and bring pressure in this game. And it looks like in some of these other matchups that Alabama's had, if you bring pressure, and we just broke down the numbers earlier, you have a little bit more success than you would just trying to rush three or just trying to back off and play zone or man coverage. I really hope that Mason does adjust in this game, but what we've seen so far through 11 games uh, it does not give me confidence that he will. The two most targeted wide receivers for Alabama are John Mechie third and Jamison Williams is not even close. Those two guys primarily line up on the outside more than two-thirds of the time. Following those two players, though, Alabama gets Brian Robinson and tight ends Cameron Latu and Jalil Billingsley involved just as much as Slade Bolden, who's the third wide receiver in the bunch. Alabama's depth of targets extends six players deep, if not more, and they can all do a lot of great things with the football Mm -hmm. Alabama is going to target the outside with Mechie and Williams a lot if Auburn does bring pressure you're going to get one-on-ones out there I think Roger McCreary can hold his own the question is will as you go down deeper and deeper on the depth chart at cornerback or at safety will Auburn be able to handle those guys in one-on-one especially whoever is manned up on Jamison Williams right which should be McCreary right I don't know I hope so because John Mechie's the most targeted receiver in the true. offense, so I, I don't know. And John Mechie's just a different type of receiver. Jamison Williams is a true number two wide receiver in the NFL when you talk about your speedster that's going to stretch the field. Jamison Williams the most scary of the two for me because of his ability to blow the top off of a defense. Mm-hmm. He's a Boletnikoff candidate. He's got over 1,200 receiving yards, but he's not the most targeted receiver in the Alabama offense. The attention that is put on to Mechie has really helped Jamison Williams flourish, which is the side point to this. Those two guys also have the ability to get into the slot, and I'm not as afraid of Jamison, excuse me, I'm not as afraid of John Mechie in the slot as I am of Jamison Williams because anybody that is lined up against Jamison Williams in the slot time and time again this year in college football, they have proven to not be able to stop Jamison Williams. It's a mismatch when he's brought into the slot, whether it be on a slant or a go route through a seam, I, I don't know. But time and time again, there's been blown coverage when he's lined up in the slot. I think back to that Tennessee game mm-hmm. when for some baffling reason, a linebacker was given the task to try and stop Jamison Williams in a, in a pass play that, that just didn't make any sense to me and it ended up being a touchdown. So you see that time and time again. I imagine you're correct. I, I think Auburn probably will opt to settle back, get into their zone and try and not blow any coverage off the top. But 
that's also going to allow Bryce Young to just be able to carve you up in the short ten or media bracket. I don't know how you stop this offense. I'm curious to see who lines up with Williams in the slot then. If it's not going to be McCreary, then who do you think could potentially match up with him? Not well, just, just going to be on him. I don't know if there's anybody fast enough to keep up in a, you know step for step with him. Right, but who do you think Walt, Auburn will like to put out there? If they're going with something more man-to-man, it'll be Pritchett. But if it's not, then if, if it's zone coverage, then it doesn't matter at that point because nobody's lined up over the top of them. So I think it would be Pritchett or, or a safety in some instances. But um, at, the, at the end of the day, that's just not going to get it done. Um, still breaking down Auburn defensively here. I, I, I think at the end of the day, the, this is key. Auburn's going to have to line up correctly in the pre-snap and they're going to have to communicate effectively to avoid blown coverage, especially if they take it from a zone defensive approach. From a mental standpoint, a lot of pressure is going to be placed onto these defensive backs in the pre-snap. Even even when the play gets started, a lot of pressure is going to be put on these guys. So that's the most concerning part of the game for me is Auburn's ability to stop the run and uh, – or, excuse me, Auburn's ability to stop this passing game. Auburn's ability to stop the run and run the football may be enough to keep them in the game if they can equalize in the passing game on offense and defense. But right now, I just think there's such – a huge gap whether it's Auburn throwing the football against Alabama secondary or Alabama throwing the football against Auburn secondary the passing game aspect of this game I just think there's such a huge a huge gap in that category and I'm not gonna lie I'm concerned with how Auburn is going to play Alabama in in the running game because we saw last weekend against the South Carolina Carolina offense that couldn't move essentially against anybody this season outside of Florida uh, we saw Auburn give up a decent amount of rushing yards uh, to the to the Gamecocks. So I'm just worried about what Auburn's going to be able to do overall in this game. I'm not trying to be dramatic. I'm not trying to exaggerate. I would I would not be surprised if if Alabama did not score on almost every single possession that they have on Saturday. Like if they if they score on all but like one or two, would not surprise me. So here's what I'll say in response to that. This is the Iron Bowl. And logically, it just doesn't that, that this game doesn't follow logic. It doesn't. So, if if this was if Auburn's team was wearing yellow shoe jerseys, or if Auburn's team was wearing Arkansas jerseys, or something like that, if you put Auburn's players in those uniforms, I think Alabama does just that. I think Auburn. I think those players would get carved up. But from the Iron Bowl perspective, you know that the guys are going to play above their weight class. You know they're going to put in a ton of effort now will that help you win the ball game at the end of the day I think you're having to overcome a huge talent gap here so probably not at the end of the day but I wouldn't be shocked if Auburn's able to at least cover in the ball game which would mean that Alabama's not going to score you know on every single possession I wouldn't be surprised if Auburn scored on their first possession because the script was good but outside of maybe their first two or three possessions of the ball game I just don't know if they're going to be able to hold on and I think Alabama's going to be able to do kind of whatever they want uh, in this game throwing the ball downfield because Auburn secondary I don't want to say that they've necessarily given up like you said I think they're going to play hard in this game man I don't think they have the dudes that can cover Williams and Mechie it just does not seem like they do talking about the running game for Alabama I think we should break down a bit break that down a little bit here before we move on to the show zone rushing attack for the Crimson Tide 71-29 split between zone and gap run plays meaning they are a zone rushing attack mm-hmm. Brian Robinson has been excellent and not talked about enough he has been hampered by his offensive line but I think you can look at some serious statistics here that shows you that Brian Robinson is a very good running back in spite of his offensive line 32 percent of his rushing yards 
come on plays that went for more than 15 yards. Over 300 yards that he has put up comes on plays that have accounted for more than 15 yards on that given play. He has forced 51 total missed tackles this season, which is roughly 30% of of his attempts. So one-third of the time, one-third of the times that he touches the football, he forces a broken tackle. Yep. To put that into perspective, let's compare him to Tank. Tank has only missed tackles on 23% of his, of his attempts compared to Brian Robinson's 30%, and then his breakaway yardage is roughly 31%. So Tank has had about the same amount of big plays as Brian Robinson has, but in terms of breaking tackles, Brian Robinson is doing that at a much more prolific clip than Tank Bixby is at this moment. Yeah, and I also think that Auburn's offensive line has potentially hampered Tank Bigsby a little bit, especially in conference play, while Auburn may not be running him as often as they should. And I don't think that there's a whole lot of disagreement amongst the Auburn fan base. Tank Bigsby should be getting the football more. Um, While he's not been getting enough touches, uh, I still think this offensive line at certain times has not been able to bail him out. Now, there have been good moments. I will say Tank Bixby did have his best game of the season against South Carolina this past weekend. The offensive line did every now and then open up some holes, even against teams like Texas A&M. We got to see that down, I believe, inside the red zone where they just opened up a massive hole for Tank Bixby. Bixby just missed it. Um, I think that there have been some good moments in conference play, but overall, offensive line has also hampered hampered Bixby as well. I would really like to see, because I don't believe Auburn is going to win this football game, just from a morale standpoint, I'd like to see Bigsby get 60 yards at least in this game so that he can crack 1,000 for the season because it has been far too long since Auburn football has had a 1,000-yard rusher after having so many different guys do it in consecutive years. Would love to see Tank be the first guy to do it for the past, in, in what feels like forever, but it's only been like, what, two, three seasons since it's been done? And going back to Alabama's offensive line being so poor at run blocking, with all of that being said about what Brian Robinson was doing, and how successful he's been on the ground. He's still only averaging 4.9 yards per carry, yeah, which is worse than Tank's. Those are some egregious breakaway numbers for him. Like He's doing a great job of creating things on his own, but the offensive line's killing him. Evan Neal's pretty much been the only consistent offensive line who's doing good things in terms of run blocking and pass blocking for Alabama. On the other side of this break, we will talk about the Alabama defense and maybe what the Auburn offense can do to put some points on the scoreboard. I think there's some opportunity here, but it could equally be as disastrous as you know last week. So it's there's a wide range of results, and we'll talk about that when we come back. You're listening to On the Line. Wrapping up hour number one of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. That's the number to put you through to On the Line. Iron Ball coming up on Saturday. We're breaking down the Alabama Crimson Tide. Keeping you up to date with what's going on in Auburn basketball and the first round of the Bad Boy Mowers Battle for Atlantis. UConn is up on Auburn, 56-43. to Very impressive performance, I believe, by UConn. Talking about what they've done up to this point. They are 12 for 23 from two-point field goal range. And that's been the difference for me because in this game for Auburn, Auburn is 9 for 24. So you got 12 for 23 for UConn. Auburn's been 9 for 24. And that, to me, has been the difference. Auburn may not win this game, but I need to see them battle back here in these last few minutes. There have been times in the past where Bruce Pearl teams have proven that they can stick around in games where it looks like all is lost. I'd like to see Auburn show a little bit more fight in these final 14 minutes here. Uh, I would like to see Auburn cut down on the turnovers and, like you said, make sure that they're trying to protect the rim just a little bit better. Most likely going to be playing Lilio Chicago 
Uh, I believe that game would be tomorrow. I don't know what time. I'd have to go look. But I, I still I still think that this is a good Auburn basketball team. They have just run into a very hot uh, UConn Huskies team today. On top of that, I, th- I think they're putting in a lot of effort, almost to the point where you're forcing things. Like they're trying to get back into it. My, I do not have any issues with Auburn's performance right now. I mean, I, there are definitely many different ways where they can improve. Right, I, I think the defense has struggled a little bit with UConn catching fire. They haven't defended the rim as well as I've wanted them to. But also, you break down. I said what was uh, I said UConn was twelve for twenty three just a few moments ago. Yes, Sonogo for UConn started out like five for five, yep. shooting a lot of contested jumpers with his back to the basket over Walker Kessler. So I think UConn's offense has been equally as good in the lane, whereas Auburn hasn't been able to get anything in the paint. So that that that's. I think you, you'll break it down, and, and right now the score doesn't look great, and people are going to look at the statistics and be like, oh, Auburn shot 38%, UConn shooting 55%. They played bad defense. I really don't think they've played that bad. UConn has just played out of their mind. And if Auburn is somehow does find a way to win this game, it would be really impressive to see, the, to see them battle back against such a, what seems to be right now, a really resilient UConn Huskies team. I mean, they uh, were down like we were talking about earlier in the show. Uh, UConn was down 21-10 to 10 early on in this game. Then you look up, and all of a sudden, Auburn's giving up a 32-13 to 13 run. They're trying to hang on in this contest right now. Just want to see some fight from Auburn. Want to see them try and control what they can control, not make any stupid mistakes whenever they get opportunities, and just try and go out and execute to the best of their ability. And look, if the shots don't fall, shots don't fall. Breaking down the Alabama Crimson Tide on a report Wednesday here for On the Line. Let's talk about defense. The 3-4 defense. For UConn, or I don't know why I just said UConn. <laughs> just because we're, ta- we're watching the basketball game, too. The 3-4 defense for Alabama is going to be something that Auburn could take advantage of. Also, it could be disastrous for Auburn. I think that this is a high-risk, high-reward Alabama defense. Alabama has the athletes to run man-to-man more than most teams, so they do. It's about a 50-50 split between man-to-man and zone coverage in terms of their pass defense. And I think that's why you have seen Alabama give up so many big plays in the passing game, namely last week also in the A&M game. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And Auburn's receivers, if they can get open... They can make some big plays, I think, in this game. The other part of that is can T.J. Finley have enough time to get them the football? Alabama switches the amount of pressure that they bring on a game-to-game basis. Mississippi State, LSU didn't blitz a whole lot. They opted to go back into zone coverage against two teams that like to throw the ball a lot. This game, I could see them blitz Auburn a ton. Mm -hmm. Auburn's offensive line has not done well against pressure this year when teams have opted to blitz, but a lot of blitz breakdowns. I look at Auburn right now the same way that I looked at A&M when Alabama played A&M earlier in the year, struggling quarterback, backup quarterback into the ballgame, haven't had a whole lot of success on the offensive end. I look at them a little bit like Arkansas this past weekend. Auburn needs to be able to run the ball to be effective on offense. Same thing as Arkansas. Guess what they decided to do? They brought a lot of pressure on K.J. Jefferson and said, beat us with your arm. What did K.J. Jefferson do? He about beat him with the, with his arm. The thing is, those two teams were able to, in A&M's case, beat Alabama with Zach Calzada's arm, with Arkansas got pretty dangerously close to doing it. It comes down to T.J. Finley being able to have enough time to get the ball to his wide receivers, be able to delete, deliver accurate strikes, and then I think Auburn could be able to score because Alabama is going to blitz a ton. You're going to get opportunities on the outside and one-to-one and man-on-man uh, one-to-one coverage there, and I think Auburn should be able to make something happen if they can get the football to their guys. And I think we've seen T.J. Finley so far this season not necessarily play well uh, outside of the Georgia State game. We got to see against South Carolina whenever there was pressure brought 
uh, in his face. Uh, he was not uh, he was not bailing Auburn out consistently, and I don't know if he's nef- necessarily going to be able to do it in this game. Not because of his pure ability, but because of the offensive line that surrounds him, and then also the playmakers that he would be throwing to. Auburn does not have a Traylon Burks on their roster. In fact, they don't have anybody, I don't believe, that's relatively close to what Traylon Burks can do. So they're going to have to have some heroic performances, like you said, see if they, seeing if they can get the ball downfield in one-on-one coverage to different guys whenever the play collapses. Can Auburn just have somebody have a miraculous, heroic performance in this game? We've seen the Iron Bowl go sideways in, in years past. It's essentially on both ends of the football for Auburn offensively and defensively. I think it's there's just got to be a lot of hope. It's like, well, we don't match up well with the tide, I think, in a lot of different areas. Hopefully, Kobe Hudson comes back in this game. If he does, I do want to see Auburn target him a little bit. I think he could definitely give this uh, Alabama secondary some problems if Auburn's offensive line can give T.J. Finley time. But like I was saying just a second ago, Auburn does not have the receivers in this room to bail their backup quarterback out consistently in this game. Plain and simple, it's an aggressive defense. Sometimes it feasts, but other times it's famine. They could give up big plays. It's on Auburn to make those big plays, of course, and that's going to be the thing. I don't want to see T.J. Finley throw a lot of deep balls, but as soon as I say that, I could also see Alabama make the adjustment equally to drop back in his own coverage and do what they did against Mississippi State at LSU, which they had very gro- they had very good defensive performances against Mississippi State at LSU. Held LSU to 14, held Mississippi State to 9. I think if you drop back in his own coverage against T.J. Finley and you just let the defensive line and just blitz Will Anderson, just allow Will Anderson to get after T.J. Finley because he'll do that. He's got, 30, he's got 13 and a half sacks this year. He's averaging well over a sack a game. He'll be able to get back there and put some pressure on him. That'll happen. Alabama could equally decide, yeah, we don't need to blitz. We're just going to get back into zone, and we're going to make T.J. Finley beat us with his arm and pick us apart, and I don't think T.J. Finley would would be able to do that. Yeah, I don't think so either. So Alabama could honestly approach this from two different ways and still have success. I'd be shocked uh, if, if, if they have a tough time. If they have a tough time. That's it for hour number one of On the Line. We'll continue to break down the Iron Bowl matchup on a report Wednesday. When we come back, we got making headlines. Going to keep you updated on Auburn, UConn, as well as other basketball games going on throughout the day. You are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 106.7 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7500. Hour number two of On the Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on the Wednesday edition of the show during Thanksgiving week. Thank you for joining us however you may be joining us, whether it be on air on ESPN 106.7 or on the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Going to start off hour number two as we do most days with making headlines. And our first headline, this is the one probably on a lot of Auburn people's minds. Auburn is currently playing UConn in the battle for Atlantis. Tigers battled it back a, li- a little bit, but currently they trail 62-49 to in the second half with 11-29 remaining in the ball game. 
I don't think it's been a bad performance from Auburn by any means. I think it's their first taste of playing a really good basketball team. I didn't expect UConn to be this good of a perimeter shooting basketball team. These guys can flat out play. And I think this, I'm not saying that this is their ceiling because it is just game four, but this is about as good as a team can play when it comes down to playing the game of basketball, considering they're shooting 55% from the field and 64% from three. Yeah, Auburn had a chance to cut it to seven there, and it's uh, it's just the way that this game has gone. UConn has battled back, thirteen point game right now. Like you said, Auburn is is it's like playing what Baylor did in the national championship. I mean, everything that they threw up, they could throw something up from the parking lot and it'd probably go in. So Auburn's just having a really tough time stopping UConn defensively right now. Look, if you're going to shoot 60-something percent from three, you are probably going to win the basketball game unless your team is able to shoot either just as well or better. Um, so, yeah, Auburn's just run into a team that is just knocking them down right now. So there's not really anything that you can do about that except continue to play hard and continue to play your best brand of basketball. These past couple of ses- uh, possessions have not been it for Auburn. Uh, again, going back to mistakes and stupid things on the offensive end of the floor, just making dumb decisions and not running your offense. But you know what? We'll just have to see what happens. I think this Auburn basketball team is still improving, and they're still learning how to play amongst each other. And I think they've improved throughout the span of this ball game. They currently trail by 13 to the UConn Huskies. Just some areas where I think they could improve, defending the rim a little bit better, which is kind of shocking to, st- to say you know when you when you look at how this team has blocked shots this year but today they've just got one block shot to UConn's five UConn's defending the rim much better than Auburn they're scoring around the rim much better than Auburn right now outside of that this game's pretty even rebounds fairly even free throws fairly even um three-pointers made fairly even even the percentage uh I, I I don't think there's too much here going against Auburn outside of the battle of the pain and right now Auburn just is getting bullied down low let's head to the phone lines now 334-321-1390 we got Terry with us on the line Terry we haven't heard from you in a little while how's it going great guys how y'all doing we're doing pretty well fantastic um what do y'all think about now I know this you're talking about basketball there but I have a football question for you go for it uh, about Tank Bigsby and his obviously emotion on the sideline not getting that carry do you guys think he'll be at Auburn next year? I do. I know that there's a lot of talk about it. And um, I, 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 to your question about how do I feel about his emotion on the sideline, I get it. I get being frustrated. He should have the football in those situations. I think he loves Auburn, so I think he's going to be at Auburn. Um, I, I just don't think that there's – I think that's just a fan base and people on social media making something out of it where there may not actually be anything there. But if he did decide to transfer – it wouldn't shock me because I don't think Auburn's helping his draft stock right now. No, that's exactly what I was about to say is if he does elect to transfer, I don't know if this, there's necessarily everything going on at social media is, is what's going on in the locker room, and I don't know what Tank Bigsby's feelings are, but you saw it on the sideline, clearly frustrated. If he does want to transfer and he does end up transferring, would not blame the kid. Uh, he's probably going to get uh, more touches at a different, uh, different school. Well, where's, where was his finalist when he chose Auburn? Do you guys know? Because he's from Georgia, right? Yeah, I would yeah. imagine Georgia was in the mix. Let me go and look back at his recruiting profile real quick. And yeah, he could be in Georgia right now and, and, and playing be in the BCS ranked number one, or he's Auburn going 6-6. Six and six. Exactly. So he could go to tra- Georgia next season with Zamir White leaving. He could be their number one back if he wanted to. He could go right now and be the number one back. He's already better than Zamir White. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's what I'm thinking. It's just That's a very frustrating thing. 
the kid, I felt sorry for the kid. And also something to be said, the emergence of, of you know, of Hunter. Um, Hunter looks like a number one back in a lot of ways. I, I love I love the one two punch, but you know that that could end up being a, a bad thing. Good thing, good thing for Auburn, bad thing for Auburn too. Yeah, I, you know I've been less impressed with Hunter over the the course of SEC play than I was over the first four or five games. Um, he just doesn't seem to create his own space as well as Tank does. He just doesn't do more with less than Tank does. Now that's not to say that he won't. I mean he is just a freshman and. Um, you know, in some ways, I think even Tank has regressed a little bit this year than, he, than compared to last year. He really had his first good game of the year, I think, where he was doing things himself against South Carolina. That was against South Carolina, I think. So, not to it's say that Tank. Sophomore slump, so it's called. Yeah. And looking at Tank Bigsby's recruiting profile that you were talking about, um, a lot of offers, of course, a lot of SEC teams. I mean, I'm sure Georgia was in the mix alongside, you know, teams like LSU, Alabama, just pretty much an SEC offer list there that you were looking at. Anywhere he wanted, he could have went anywhere, anywhere he wanted to. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, uh, the alphabet's like on here. One. I'm sorry. The alphabet's on here. I mean, any yeah. any Power Five team, <laughs> alphabetical order, choose it. <laughs> Seems like I remember him being like the number one back in the country. Um, uh, not the number one. I'm looking at his 24/7 Sports recruiting profile. He was the number four running back according to 24/7 Sports composite, 40th player nationally. But he was, I mean, at that point, you're splitting hairs. I mean, he was he was a very good running back. Yeah, I may see what that goes on. Do you guys think there'll be staff changes? I do. I think there'll be major staff changes. Yes. Well, and and what I what I think maybe you know uh, could be shown on the field could could be evidence of maybe there needs to be. But on the flip side, I've talked to some folks that the vibe is you know folks covering the team that maybe there won't be that those guys may end up staying in. But then again, things could be so bad on Saturday that they could end up being forced into making a change. But what's going to bother me Saturday is Auburn's going to get railroaded or going to get run by 28 points or more by a good Alabama team. And there's going to be a faction of Auburn callers that will call up the after-game show and talk about, oh, well, we think things are headed in the right direction. We think things are good. How can you think that? How, how, how in the world can you think that? And I agree I with know. you That's on one hand. It's going to happen. I agree with you on one hand that yesterday I said that Auburn football is headed towards a total rebuild. When you look at the roster – the, the team is losing a lot of talent after this year to, to graduation. And then there, we, as evidenced by this season, I don't think there's a whole lot of depth behind them. So the, there's a total rebuild from a recruiting standpoint because look at where Auburn's at in recruiting right now. And that, I don't think, is Brian Hartson's fault totally. I think Gus Malzahn, you look at how he recruited in his last year, he did not set Auburn up with success on the recruiting trail as he was going on his way out. So yeah, from, quite honestly, I believe it's time to quit blaming Gus Malzahn for Auburn's problems. I will continue to blame him on recruiting because of the fact that Harson, you know, if Harson does a bad job next year recruiting, I think it's Harson. But this year's class, Gus didn't do a good job of recruiting it because Auburn came in with, with not good standing with a lot of these high profile recruits in this year's class. So well, I, I still blame thirteenth like out of fourteenth right now. Uh, I think they're twelfth. Yeah, but still, it's it's not good. Right now. Oh, whoopee. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I'm with no, you. We'll I, 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 I'm not going to say that things look great moving forward, but I also think on the other side of the coin, I said this yesterday, I'm not ready to make conclusions about Brian Harson yet because of the way that things ended with Gus. It's just year one for Brian Harson, and I do think a rebuild's coming. And, you know, we, we don't know if Har- we, we don't know if Harson's the right guy. We don't know if Harson's the wrong guy, but we have to wait to find out. You can't let a guy go after one year with the way that the roster looks. Well, you can bet if he has if he doesn't have some more success next year and there's losses, bad losses like the Mississippi State of South Carolina, there'll be talk of his 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 departure. And and 
Look, I, look, I've heard, you know, you heard the things about Dennis Franchoni at Alabama and his wife was unhappy in Tuscaloosa. I've heard the same things about Brian Harson's wife in Auburn. I don't know if it's true or not, and I don't give it any, any kind of, you know, tele, any kind of, you know, concrete evidence until I hear something I believe. But, I mean, we, we go out to Idaho and get Mr. Potato Head as a coach. <laughs> you know, but a lot of people liked him when he was coming in. I still like him. I think he's... I think he can still do good things for the program. I'm not ready to move on he from, from Brian Harson. That is true. That's exactly right. He better get because, to doing because some I'm right going to ask things. you guys to think: How can you beat a top ten Ole Miss team that's pretty good and turn around and lose to South Carolina? Yep. His quarterback. I mean, is I'm hurt. sorry. I don't. I don't fathom that. How can you blow a 25 point lead against Mississippi State when you beat Ole Miss? Yeah, that, now that one, I'm with you. It's it's been a colossal failure by this coaching staff over the last three weeks. But everybody beating LSU. Auburn beats them for the first time in 21 years at Baton Rouge, and then they lose it. They, I just can't. I can't. Fathom it's mind-boggling. It. Yeah. I can't fathom it either. It, 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 I used an analogy last week that my dad said was that it's like a cop was watching a bank robber rob the bank and he didn't do anything about it. I mean, I mean, I get the everybody's frustration. It, it's it's crazy. I don't think we've seen this level of a meltdown. Uh, at least since like 2009, when Auburn started off five and zero that year with Chiswick, and then went five and um, lost five of their last seven games over the over the back end of the stretch. I mean, this is a this is a meltdown. You're not wrong. It, it's hard to make sense of meltdowns, but I'm still I just want people to be patient. It, we can't turn into Auburn cannot turn into Florida or or other programs like Tennessee who are firing their coach every two or three seasons. Because look at those programs; they have a yeah, lot of instability. Don't have a guy across the state winning division titles, national titles, Heisman Trophy winners. That don't have that, and that's the problem right now. All we want is a little bit of consistency, and the only consistency is losing bad games. Terry, we're just gonna have to uh, you know agree to disagree. I, I respect your opinion, though. I 100 percent see the see the issues. I just I'm. I'm choosing to ride it out for at least another year or two before I think that a, ch- a change needs to be made. I well, said that coming into the year it right now, but yeah. but if, if he if this year if, if next year rolls around and we're talking about the same thing right now today, then, uh, then we got a problem. Yep, Terry, we appreciate the phone call. I hope you have a good Thanksgiving. You do, man. That was Terry on the line with us, and now we're going to go back to the phone lines. We've got Ed on the line with us. Ed, how's it going? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, first off, uh, just let me say, I hope all of you guys have a, a very good Thanksgiving and, uh, you know, a very safe and uh, I hope everything goes well and all that. But uh, as far as the last caller, you know, anytime you you, 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 you encounter anybody who's got all these absolute things, you can't keep blaming Gus Malzahn. Yes, you can keep blaming Gus Malzahn for the fact, and it wasn't last year's recruiting. For goodness sake, he, from 2016, he didn't recruit any very, you know, he, he any very good offensive lineman. That's a great point. Uh, defensive lineman, everybody kept going back. Oh, he got Derek Brown. Derek Brown was coming there anyway. Who else did he get? You can't depend on one guy. But Everything that's happened with Auburn this year is not due just to uh, subpar talent. Talent, which we do have, you know, we got, we don't have the lines that can compete anywhere. Uh, the second string at, at Bama, most of those guys would start at Auburn right now, you know, uh, and it, that's not going to change. But you can't. Also, you can't discount. The total failure, and I, I just want to—if if y'all give me just a second—I'm 
you know, I'm, I'm going to ask you a question. Both of you used to grade something for me. But uh, you can't discount the absolute collapse of the team and everything that goes around with that. And, you know, there's some, sometimes with teams, have y'all noticed since, uh, is his name Cochran, the strength coach from Bama that went to Georgia? Yeah, that's Scott Cochran. Cochran, have y'all noticed that a lot of magic kind of went with him? You know, sometimes it's it's not the head coach. Or, I'm not I'm not giving Cochran that too much credit. I'm just saying that right now Auburn just seems to be lost. And uh, if if you would, I'm gonna if I could name off about four or five coaches and and y'all just quickly give me what you would give them a grade on. I'm not going to grade them. I, if you'll, would y'all do that for me? Sure, I'll yeah. do that for you. Okay, all right. We'll start right at the top, Gus. A to F. You said Gus Malzahn? I, I, I said Gus. I'm sorry. I, I, we'll, we'll start with Brian Harson. Uh, a to F. I'll give him a B minus. Yep, same here, B minus. <laughs> I'd give him a D. I'd give him a, well, I'd give him a C minus. But, Okay, uh, Derek Mason. I would give that like a C minus, D plus. Uh, D minus. Yeah, I'm, I'm with y'all on there. But okay, uh, Bobo. C. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with Lance. A C. Yeah, I, that's about the best I can give him too. Uh, uh, and now, uh, as far as like, I, I think. The other coaches, I think Will Friend, I think he's done as good as he can do with what he's had. Yeah. You know, O-line's improved. Sir? The O-line has improved. I'm with you. I think Will Friend's done a pretty good job. I, I, I do. I think Will Friend's done a very good job with what he's what he's had. And, you know, you can't, you know, you can't make it sit first out of the styles here or whatever. But, you know, it, it wasn't just the last year. For about the, in like, Four, a four or five year period, Gus Malzahn recruited like or signed twelve guys, and most that's you usually want to get four or five each on the offensive line. Right, you usually want to get four or five each year. You know, and he just totally ignored it, and I don't know what went on there, what was going on in Gus's mind. It doesn't matter. But all I'm saying is, as far as I'm concerned, I'm with y'all that if you're an Auburn fan, you've got to give the man more than this year. You know, you've got – and the way these kids are now, a lot of them have their minds made up by the time they're going into their senior year. Yeah. It's like you've got to hit them now when they're sophomores and juniors. And I think I think they're trying to do that. I, you know, I, I, I think there's definitely got to be some coaching changes made. But I don't think Harson's one of them. But – I appreciate y'all taking my call, guys, and, and War Eagle. War Eagle to you, yeah, War Eagle to you too, Ed. Happy, ha- have a happy Thanksgiving. Yes, sir. Y'all too, and, and much love. That was Ed on the line with us. Thank you, Ed. Um, and um, let's head to a quick break here. When we come back, we'll stay on the phone lines as well. 334-321-1390. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daugherty, SBM 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Keep me up to date with what's going on in the Auburn-UConn game. Auburn has cut it to six with under seven minutes to go left 
in today's contest under six minutes to go left in today's contest they've gone on a little bit of a run but UConn's still able to hang there and answer with them Auburn's gonna have to try and find a way to get back in it and get it to a tied ball game before time runs out or obviously they take their first loss of the year that sounded really obvious I promise I'm more intelligent than that I'm just saying that uh the time's running out but yeah. they're playing much better in this half. Yeah, and what they needed to do in this half is to stop the bleeding on defense. And UConn is shooting under thirty or forty percent right now from the field in this second half. Auburn shooting fifty percent from the floor in this second half. But they've got to clean up some of the mistakes on the offensive end. I want to maximize maximize every single possession that we have. If I'm Auburn, because you may not get another opportunity to claw back into this game. Right now, it is currently uh, it's currently UConn's trying to to extend the lead back out. And they've played a lot better in this half, but I think you talk about how cold the shooting has gone for UConn further reinforces my point that I've been making the entire show that UConn just got red hot in the first half. And I don't think it was necessarily poor defense by Auburn. It was just UConn making a lot of shots. And early on, I think you break down Sunogo's start to the ball game and making several contested shots over Walker Kessler in the paint. It was the battle in the paint that Auburn lost by a significant margin to UConn in that first half. But regardless Auburn's done much better in the second half in that category they're starting to knock down some shots from the perimeter they're doing just fine but they are still behind gonna have to find a way to close the gap here in quite a hurry but they are not out of the game yet we got a little bit over 30 minutes left in today's show and then it'll be the drive from with Bill Cameron and Dan Peck from 4 to 6 p.m. on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama look at our upcoming Radio schedule from ESPN for college football this Saturday. Virginia Tech at Virginia at 2 p.m. right here on ESPN 106.7. And Texas A&M at LSU at 5.30 p.m. out of Baton Rouge. Live game broadcast on ESPN 106.7 are presented by the Orthopedic Clinic, Keo Auburn, University Ace Hardware, and Franklin Tire and Auto. That's a look at this weekend's t- radio schedule here on ESPN 106.7 we've been talking a lot about the Iron Bowl matchup coming up this Saturday we've broken down Alabama from a schematic perspective with some inside numbers and statistics from pro football focus SEC StatCat kind of taking them from a scouting report approach about their scheme now let's talk about how does Auburn match up with Alabama's strengths and weaknesses as we have already scouted them out Well, I think something that Auburn might be able to do well in this game, talking about a weakness for Alabama that Auburn could match up well with, is the pressure that Alabama has allowed so far this season. Like I mentioned earlier, second in the SEC and pressure rate allowed on any given play in in SEC play for Alabama, and they they do have the occasional negative play, fifth fifth in the SEC in negative play percentage. If Auburn can get home a little bit in this game, which they have proven at times against shaky offense, offensive line so far this season that they can in fact uh, put some pressure on the offensive line and create some chaos Uh, I think this could be a place where the game could get decided if Auburn can get home if they can force Bryce Young to do something that he's really not done so far this season which which is uh, create mistake or rather make mistakes I think uh, I think that could be a huge story in this game. So weakness for Alabama, absolutely that offensive line, 100%. If you've listened to this show at all, if you've heard Jeremy Law come on here as an Alabama fan and rant and rave about how disappointed he is in the Crimson Tide offensive line, even in the two deep, uh, you would you would know that that, that the uh, the trenches for Alabama have not been as good as they have been in years past. Likewise, Auburn may not bring the pressure necessary to fold that offensive line 
like a piece of paper. You're not. You yeah. may not be able to. You may not be able to achieve that just bringing three. I've broken down the physics of it. Two guys would be double teamed in that instance. That's 600 pounds on 300 pounds. You're going to lose. You're going to lose. Unless you're Derek Brown. But Even there then. is no Derek Brown on this on this line. Exactly. And so my thing is, Auburn has to blitz, has to bring four, and that may take someone out of coverage, and that may make this coaching staff uncomfortable. But I would rather go man-to-man on the outside and get beat by their talent than let them then sit back and let them do whatever they wanted because Bryce Young we've broken this down statistically does whatever he wants when he is not pressured which is about 65 percent of the time they keep him clean which isn't that good in the grand scheme of some of the offensive lines we've looked at but when he is kept clean he's completing 78 percent of his passes that's better than Will Rogers you thought what was bad in that Mississippi State game with Will Rogers who's doing whatever he wanted Bryce Young will do so much more all, uh, Alabama, rather, second in the SEC and passing yards per game. Obviously, Will Rogers and Mississippi State first, but Alabama has a little bit of a ground game to go with it, unlike Mississippi State. So how do you control this Alabama offense with a quarterback that does not make mistakes, especially whenever he's not pressured? You're going to have to send a little bit of pressure in this game, and we were talking about it earlier in the show. I just don't know if Derek Mason is going to do that, because even in matchups where it's kind of been like, okay, Auburn, you got to send more than three in order to have a chance in this game, he's still not elected to do it. So I just... Mm. I want to see Auburn send pressure in this game. It's really important, I think, for the Tigers to send more than three. The next question is what Auburn will be able to do on offense because the weakness of the Alabama defense is the secondary. They have done a really good job of stopping the run. They've done a really good job of getting pressure on opposing quarterbacks. Will Anderson has 13 and a half sacks. That ranks second nationally in college football. Likewise, you add to that about what this team has done in terms of defending the run. They hold opponents to 2.6 yards per carry. Yeah, they have, uh, they've really clamped down on teams on defense, even though it doesn't look like Alabama's necessarily played the best defense uh, that, uh, in the Nick Saban era so far this season. They've still been pretty good. Uh, I would like to see Auburn still, though, even though Alabama's been good stopping the run, I'd like to see them try and get Tank Bigsby involved just a little bit in this game because we were talking about it last week with South Carolina. Look, you do not want to make your quarterback throw it 32 times on the road in a hostile environment. This is a comfortable environment for T.J. Finley. I say let's let him throw the ball around a little bit. But if Tank Bigsby has been having the success, if he's going to have the success on Saturday like he has the past couple of games, Auburn's going to have to get him some touches and see if they can get this Alabama offense just uh, just a little – I want to see them struggle just a little bit because once you do open up that running game, all of a sudden things become easier for your backup quarterback. When you have a hole like Alabama does in that secondary, this game could go in different directions, and I think it's very difficult to cover up that specific weakness. Bobo has an opportunity to exploit difficulties by that Alabama defense. Arkansas put up 35 points. Auburn can maybe not put up 35 points with their backup quarterback. If Bo was playing in this game, I'd have a lot more confidence in the offense, a lot more confidence in the offense because I know that he can get the ball to his wide receivers, and he was doing a really good job of that before he got hurt. So it really kills Auburn that Bo's not out there right now who really came into his own at the end of the season. But TJ Finley, he's not a deep ball passer. He's a short to intermediate, over the middle of the field kind of guy, and he throws a really good football in those categories of the field. The problem is Auburn still is insisting on either short or deep, not really a whole lot in the middle there consistently. The passing game did not – 
have a whole lot of intermediate for me when I was watching Auburn play against South Carolina this past weekend the game was not easy on TJ Finley it was 17 for 32 mm-hmm. uh, they didn't really script out anything there that made things easier for him aside from the opening series of the ball game or opening couple series of the ball game yeah Alabama will either the, the, it's one of two things here Alabama, Alabama will either open the game bringing a lot of pressure opting to blitz to try and put Auburn into some difficult situations on the offensive line mm-hmm. and get TJ Finley to have to play under that pressure if that happens if he can deliver strikes to his receivers and one-on-one coverage with those DBs big plays could happen the other thing that Alabama could opt to do to open this game they could opt to drop back into zone coverage and not blitz and say look this guy's not going to be able to pick us apart if we drop everybody into coverage and we have enough confidence in our defensive line and our front seven to be able to stop the run because Auburn hasn't been able to run the ball effectively I'm going to be intrigued, but I think regardless, whatever Alabama tries to do, if Auburn can adjust to what they're doing, they might be able to expose and exploit some holes in the defense. The question is whether or not they can actually execute and make the plays, and if they'll adjust. 30 minutes left in the Wednesday edition of On the Line. We'll be back with you in just a moment. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. sheer agony in our studio (laughs) i love doing this radio show it's tough to do it while watching an auburn basketball game i'll tell you what (laughs) lance about had to come apart earlier now he's in a lot happier of a place auburn has their first lead since eight minutes left in the first half they're up by two on uconn 76 to 74 monumental run here 19-5 run for the tigers over the last um six seven minutes i would say of the second half yeah this is what my my dad would call tight sphincter time it is a very close game the clock is winding down it is uh (laughs) it it is it is go time for these two teams i the your hands start sweating you start getting nervous i really hope that auburn's able to maintain their composure over these past couple or these final couple of minutes we'll keep you updated on what's going on with it um over these next uh, last two minutes and 13 seconds remaining in the ballgame as Auburn's clinging to that one-point lead. But we're going to switch the conversation still here with college football. We're going to break it down naturally now. We got our college football playoff rankings yesterday, the latest edition. Of course, I said this a couple of weeks ago. Everybody was so angry and up in arms, and I said, look, it's all going to average out. It's all going to work out. Games still have to be played. Regardless of how mad you are right now, there will be better rankings to come later on once we finally have all the results the picture that we have right now is not complete we're still putting the puzzle together and everybody still just wants to grumble and be angry people life would be so much better if people just didn't get angry over a set of rankings Mm -hmm. but here we are at the last week of the college football season aside from army navy and we have a little bit clearer picture and i think this is the first time that i don't hear people whining and complaining all right Let's re-rank the top 10 of the college football playoff rankings. Lance, I'm going to let you start it off. Of course, Georgia at number one. Do you agree with the committee at having Ohio State at two? Yes, I do. Why is that? I think that Ohio State right now is playing, when you look at their eye test, they're playing much better football than Alabama is. They just beat Michigan State into the ground, and they did did it in a half. Didn't really have to try in the second half at all. Alabama struggling against teams that they probably shouldn't be. They only beat LSU by six. They beat Arkansas by a touchdown this past week at home. So, yeah, I like the move for Ohio State to to go up to number two after such an impressive win over Michigan State. Couldn't have said it better myself. I agree with them moving up to two. Now they're finally freed up by the rule that they had to be ranked behind Oregon because this Ohio State team is playing really impressive football right now. Uh, moving into that number two spot I think Alabama still deserves to be number three would you agree with that yes I I would agree with that I think I'm not kidding I think this is the best 
rankings. They're specifically the top ten that they've put out this year. I don't have a I don't have a lot of disagreement. And you with know it. why? It's because they find people finally let the games be played. Yep. There was more games that needed to be played. And I, although I didn't agree with a whole lot of what they were doing through the first couple of weeks, I knew that it would eventually work out because teams had to play each other and the Big Ten sorted itself out. Now, I don't totally agree with them from 5 through 10 on their rankings, but we will get to it here, and it's only slight differences. I got Alabama at 3. Do you have Cincinnati in the top 4? Yes. So do I. I got them at 4 as well. So we agree with the committee on 1 through 4. Cincinnati versus all of the other one-loss teams right outside right now. Honestly, Cincinnati's win over SMU, finally they won a big game finally they they beat a team that only had two losses not saying that smu is a great team or anything like that but what i mean by big game is they finally blew a team out they finally destroyed another team that they should have destroyed and they destroyed one of the best teams in their conference i will give them some credit now for their top 10 win earlier in the year over notre dame i will say look these guys are finally eye test wise looking like a team that could be credited with a playoff spot at the end of the year yeah and yeah. I don't think there's too much pressure that could come from behind them right now in the rankings either. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. And the fact that Cincinnati is undefeated, uh, I think now looking at the end of the season, it's it's going a long way for me. Moving outside of the top four, the committee has Michigan and Notre Dame at five and six. Who do you have at five? Notre Dame. I don't Notre want to, Dame. but I've got Notre Dame at five. Over Michigan. Why yes. is that? Notre Dame's only loss has come to the number four team in the nation in Cincinnati and Michigan lost to Michigan State, and Michigan State just got blown out by Ohio State. And I do not like the way that Michigan has performed in tight games against subpar competition. Rutgers, uh, Penn State this past, or just a couple weekends ago, Nebraska earlier on this season, doesn't cut it for me to be the fifth best team in the nation. Notre Dame, I think, uh, with their only loss having been to uh, Cincinnati, I think that's really important. I had a trio of teams here with Michigan, Oklahoma State, and Notre Dame that I was trying to sort through. I went with Michigan at five, and here's my reasoning. I think they've been tested a little bit more than Notre Dame has. Um, Notre Dame, of course, does have the common opponent with Michigan in that Wisconsin game. Michigan beat them 38-17. to Notre Dame beat them 41-13, but we also all know that that game was not legitimately 41-13 to with the way that it ended. Graham mm-hmm. Mertz, you know, what was it, like two pick sixes in the last little bit of the ballgame? I mean, yep. he helped him out a lot. Um, I think if Michigan and Notre Dame played right now, I think Michigan is the more complete team. So I went from, and maybe we just disagree on the eye test perspective part of it, which is, which is perfectly fine. I get that. We're splitting hairs here. Um, I've got Notre Dame a little bit further down because I like this Oklahoma State team a lot, mainly for that defense that just blanked the Texas Tech offense that dropped 41 on Iowa State, um, held them to zero points. Oklahoma State may not have an awesome offense, but that defense is very good. Honestly, the best defense out of those three teams that I just named. Yeah, I have no. I have uh, Oklahoma State at six. So my top four is the exact same as the committees. I have Notre Dame at five, and then Oklahoma State at six. I think right now they're playing good football. Like you just mentioned, they just shut out Texas Tech on the road. Really impressive there. While Texas Tech is not the best team in the team in the nation, you shut out in a team like you just mentioned that dropped so many so many points on Iowa State. I mean, that's impressive. That is impressive. Your only loss is to Iowa State, and that doesn't look good necessarily on paper, but if you watch the Cyclones, they play really hard defense. They're a sound football team. For that to be your only loss and for you have gotten to have gotten some uh, other impressive wins, I think it's deserving of six. It's not the worst loss in the world. I'm trying to remember who Michigan lost to. Michigan State. Michigan State. 
Yeah, I mean, it's definitely one of the the poorer losses in the top 10 at this moment, but also wouldn't necessarily credit it as a bad loss. It's not like right. you lost to a team that's not going to go bowling at the end of the year. And it's also not like you lost to a team that doesn't have the talent and the ability to push some of the better teams inside the top 25. Iowa State's played a lot of teams in the top 25 really close. So I'm not super upset with the loss. Once again, I go back to the eye test. I think if Oklahoma State played Notre Dame, I think Oklahoma State would beat Notre Dame. Um, and that's why I've got Notre Dame at seven. But likewise, I don't think there is a whole lot separating Michigan, Oklahoma State, and Notre Dame at this point. Uh, so I'm not mad at any order of those three. Moving outside of the top seven, who do you have at eight? The committee has Baylor. So I have uh, I have Oklahoma State at six, Michigan at se- uh, seven, and then I have Baylor at eight. I have Baylor as well. There's a trio of teams there that you have to go with, or maybe even a, a whatever five, a group of five teams would be. You've got Baylor, Ole Miss. Oklahoma, Oregon, and Michigan State all in that range I think that you could possibly rank inside here at this spot. I went with Baylor. Impressive win over Oklahoma a couple of weeks ago. Impressive win over Kansas State this past week. I think Kansas State's a good football team. If only they hadn't lost to TCU, that team would have a real shot at the college football playoff with the amount of ranked wins that they could pick up down the stretch. They have a championship game to play in, and it could be against Oklahoma, which would definitely be a, a it could be a win that could get you in the playoff, especially if somebody loses in that top four. You've beaten Oklahoma, BYU, Iowa State, and then like you said, you just beat Kansas State on the road this past weekend. This is a good football team. They are. They're very good. You can't rank Oklahoma ahead of Baylor because Baylor just beat them by, by 14 points. So now you have to sort between Oklahoma – Ole Miss, Oregon, and Michigan State. Who is at nine for you? The committee has Ole Miss. I have Ole Miss as well. I don't have a, I don't have a lot of disagreement with this with this top ten. Again, like I said, I just shuffled around uh, five through seven. I have just to let you know, I've got Oklahoma at ten. So I don't you have think the exact same top ten as the committee. Yeah, I don't. Well, I shuffled. Uh, I shuffled Michigan five, and Notre Dame. five through seven. So yeah. no, it goes Notre Dame, Oklahoma State, and then Michigan. Um, so yeah, I don't have a whole lot of disagreement there with the teams though in the top 10. I don't think Oregon's better than Oklahoma. I don't think Michigan State's better than Oklahoma. And I think Ole Miss is better than those three teams, Oklahoma, Oregon, and Michigan State right now. So I went with Oklahoma at nine. And once again, we're splitting hairs here. Resume wise, they're about the same. Ole Miss has wins over A&M and Arkansas. I think they have the best win of the two teams, mm-hmm. but Oklahoma, um, as far as ranked wins are concerned on their schedule, uh, they have beaten, uh, let's see, they've beaten Texas at the time when they were ranked. Of course, we all saw them fall apart. I mean, it's not the best resume in the world, but I also think I, I'm trying to imagine Oklahoma and Ole Miss playing each other, and I think Oklahoma is still the better football team. I think Oklahoma would, would be able to beat them on a neutral site. Um, and so that's why I went with Oklahoma at 9, Ole Miss at 10. But we're splitting hairs. There's not a big difference there. And I'm with you. I don't have a whole lot of gripes with this committee's top 10. I think this is their best top 10 that they've had this year. Yeah, I would agree. I think overall this is probably the uh, the best the best rankings that they've put out. And like you said, it's not because the committee has all of a sudden gotten things right. It's because they've let the games finally play out. And so some teams have uh, eaten each other alive. Some teams have uh, managed to rise in the rankings after just quietly stitching together win after win, looking at Notre Dame specifically. So yeah, I think we're going to see more of a complete picture here uh, over these final couple of weeks, especially with some rivalries uh, happening, obviously Michigan-Ohio State this weekend, and then uh, conference uh, conference championships happening just a week or so from now. There's more losses to be had. I mean, somebody's got to lose between Georgia and Alabama. Somebody's got to lose between Ohio State and Michigan. Teams are going to lose, and so the, this is definitely a interesting spot for the college football playoff 
uh, moving forward as teams are set to lose. We're going to take a quick break here on On the Line, and when we come back, we will wrap up today's edition of the show. Let me tell you what, the battle for Atlantis has lived up to the billing today. The Loyola-Chicago-Michigan State game was great, and Auburn and UConn are in overtime. 86-86, four minutes left in the overtime period. Yes, earlier Michigan State beat Loyola-Chicago 63-61. Both of those teams had 4-1 and one now. Michigan State overcame a halftime deficit of five points beating Loyola-Chicago once again 63-61 to to advance in the winner's bracket. Winner of the Auburn-UConn game will play Michigan State. Loser will play Loyola-Chicago tomorrow. Not sure on the times for those games yet, but that was the breakdown of that game. Lance, I don't know if you got to see any of it, but any thoughts on that first-round game between Loyola and Michigan State? I didn't get to see it, but I will say, you know, Michigan State, like we were talking about on yesterday's show, not as good as some people might have thought they would have been so far this season. But the fact that they were able to beat Loyola-Chicago was impressive. That is still, even without their head coach, I believe Porter Moser's now at Oklahoma. That is a uh, that is a hard-nosed football team. They play really, really hard. Basketball and team. Yes, you said football team. Foot, basketball <laughs> team. Um, yeah, I think Loyola Chicago is still a really good basketball program, and props to Michigan State for uh, being able to get it done. It was it was close. I believe they had a lob play at the end of it to they win did. it. It was it was uh, it was a really exciting. I think moment. with like three seconds left, they put down a lob yep. uh, for the win. Looking at Michigan State this year and what they've done, they lost to Kansas at the start of the season in the State Farm Champions Classic. They lost that game 87-74. to They were hanging around for about nine-point deficit for pretty much the, the entire ball game. That was what you were looking at there and never were really able to overcome it. I wouldn't say they got the brakes beat off of them, but they did get controlled. They did get handled by Kansas. After that, they beat Western Michigan 90-46. to Following that, in the Gavit tip-off games last week, they beat Butler 73-52. to and then they beat Eastern Michigan in their tune-up 83-59 to before they came into the battle for Atlantis this week against Loyola Chicago and beat them 63-61. to I think this is a decent team. I think that this is a middle-of-the-pack to top-half team or top-third team in the Big Ten, but I don't think that this is the Michigan State teams that you've seen go to Final Fours in the past. No, absolutely not. And look, if Auburn does in, end up winning this game, if they don't, they're going to be facing either obviously Loyola or Michigan State. If they do end up facing Michigan State, I don't think they have the offensive firepower to keep up with Auburn. Quite frankly, I don't think they have the firepower to keep up with UConn. This is something that we were saying on yesterday's show as well. UConn and Auburn might be the two best teams in this field, and as obviously this game is currently in overtime, they have proven so far that they uh, they know how had a battle and it is uh it is is a close affair right now we can't forget about Baylor either though and uh it's easy to forget about them because they're on the weaker side of the bracket but Baylor is still in the field and they are dismantling teams like Lego sets right now Maui Jim Maui invitational score from earlier today number 12 Houston they destroyed Oregon there's no other way to put it 78 to 49 Oregon has absolutely fallen apart this team lost to BYU last week in the Phil Knight Invitational, 81-49. to They beat Chaminade convincingly in the first round of this, as they should have, 73-49. But then they lost by 12 to St. Mary's, and then today lost by 29 to Houston. They have absolutely fallen apart. Yeah, and they scored 15 points in the first half against St. Mary's. And I watched that game, could not buy a bucket, point-blank layup, couldn't do anything. They are really, really, really struggling on the offensive end of the floor right now, and it is tough basketball to watch for Oregon. They play Montana next, and Montana is a team that 
isn't great, but they're not strangers to the NCAA tournament. The only Power 5 team they've played this year is Mississippi State, and they lost 86-49. to So probably not a good Montana team, but the Grizzlies could provide a challenge for a struggling Oregon team at this moment. Moving along in some other games that are happening later on tonight, Maui, Jim Maui Invitational Final. Two teams that you didn't expect to be there, but I don't know if, you, if you're if you on Twitter and you follow John Rothstein, uh, 75% of his tweets right now are saying that the West Coast Conference, the WCC, is going to have four tournament teams in it. <laughs> uh, that, that, that game is being played between Wisconsin and St. Mary's. There are a lot of teams to like in the West Coast Conference. BYU, St. Mary's, Gonzaga, of course, and then... Uh, there is an extra team outside of that because they're the top. I mean, the league right now has like 33 wins already to open up the season. I mean, yeah. they're the, as a as a as a league, they are playing very good basketball right now. And you watch St. Mary's last night against Oregon. It was not all just Oregon playing terrible basketball. St. Mary's is a very sound team. They're very slow, very patient. They did everything they could to be efficient on both ends of the floor. I was very impressed with the way that St. Mary's played last night. West Coast Conference has five undefeated teams right now. San Francisco was one of the other ones at 6-0. and And then Santa Clara right now, also 5-0. and Nobody's talking about the Santa Broncos. Santa Clara's good as well. Yeah, Portland's 5-1. and Nobody, only one team with a losing record in the West Coast Conference. And, I mean, there are bye games. These teams play bye games, and they don't have a losing record, you know? I mean, yeah. they, this, this, this league's a lot better than it typically is. Gonzaga's going to have some challengers in the West Coast. Will they be able to beat Gonzaga? Not a chance, because as we saw last night, they destroyed uconn by 20 points and that game was not closed that was not the result that we were expecting to see out of that ball game yeah absolutely it was definitely uh definitely a shocking uh result there i will say though overall start of college basketball this season not as many crazy upsets as there were last year to begin the season but i am really pleased with the product that's been put out overall so far the sec as well playing really good basketball as of late i believe arkansas beat kansas state yesterday solid win for the razorbacks they're going to be playing today i don't know who they match up against but overall i think the sec this is something that i've said over and over on the show especially the top half of the league very deep very talented um, really excited to see the way that conference play plays out for all the different power six conferences other games happening today in college basketball battle for atlantis continues after auburn's game with vcu and syracuse 4 p.m on espn2 that'll follow auburn's action which uh, it'll probably be backed up a little bit as they'll have to clear some folks out of the arena as well as get the other teams in there this game's headed towards 4 p.m right now and then later tonight the last game in battle for atlantis i'm trying to find it baylor is playing who's baylor playing tonight? arizona state 6 30 p.m espn2 that should be a fun basketball game talking about fun basketball games i mean auburn is, a, is in a is in a battle right now with UConn right now in overtime. That is a uh, tough matchup that Auburn's going through right now. We'll keep you all updated right now. Auburn down by one with about a minute and a half to go in the basketball game. Ohio State at number 23, Florida play at 7.30 p.m. Believe it or not, that game is not on television according to the ESPN app. That should be a fun basketball game, though. Seeing the way that Florida's playing right now, Ken Palm really likes the Gators. They're currently 12th in his rankings, higher than Kentucky. This is a uh, Gators team that nobody thought was going to be particularly impressive this season, but they have come out the gate swinging. They've got some really solid pieces, and Ohio State could be another huge win for them. And, of course, Ohio State, they're a good basketball team, but they've started the year out a little slow, 4-1 and one this year with losses to with a loss to Xavier. They almost lost to Akron earlier this season, um, and they, they pulled off a clutch win against Seton Hall on Monday 
Uh, 21st ranked Seton Hall team that beat Michigan, beat them by three. So, I mean, it's, it's going to be a competitive Big Ten yet again. Yep. Uh, but Florida is a team that I don't think many people gave credit that they were going to be a great basketball team this year. But early on, they are playing really good basketball. I mean, think about how many transfers came out of the program. They had like half of their team leave mm-hmm. after this offseason, after this past regular season. And I, they're, they're playing really good out the gates. They're already ranked. That's a team that I did not expect to be a top half of the league basketball team. And I know you didn't either. No, absolutely not. I think that... Uh... I think that um, right now college basketball, we're, it's very similar to the way I think that college, it, it, most sports normally so it, it normally do this, where you kind of expect things preseason. I think this is very much so, though, uh, this very much so happens in college basketball. You expect things preseason, and things definitely ch- don't turn out the way that you think. For instance, having Duke and Kentucky and all these Blue Bloods consistently in the top 10 of preseason rankings, you don't know what those teams are going to do year in, year, in, year out, but they're consistently ranked regardless of how they performed in the year in the year prior. I think you're going to definitely see some more things shake out uh, as college basketball continues on. And this, this weekend, uh, this Thanksgiving weekend, with all these different classics and tournaments going on, we're definitely going to kind of get a feel for what these teams are really made of. NIT season tip-off also getting started today. Number 25, Xavier against Iowa State, as well as into the evening with some entertaining matchups. Vanderbilt-Pittsburgh play. That's not in the NIT season tip-off. Number 9, Memphis is at Virginia Tech at 8.30 on ESPN2. That is in the NIT season tip-off. And then wrap it up tonight if you want to look at an SEC opponent. Texas A&M, Notre Dame, 10.30 p.m. on ESPN2. That does it for another edition of On the Line. We'll be back with you on Friday, taking Thanksgiving off tomorrow. Hope everybody has a wonderful thanksgiving stay safe and have a good time with your families and god bless we'll see you on friday you know where to find us